Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Future Space. I'm your host, Daniel Fox. Our guests today are Gabriela and Kylie. Gabriela is a 30-year Lebanese-American studying aerospace engineering at Arizona State University, where she is also the president of the uh, Women of Aeronautics and Astronautics chapter. Kylie is a graduating fourth-year honors student studying business and global politics at Arizona State University. She is the co-founder of the ASU Space Ambassadors, along with the Interplanetary Initiatives. In 2022, Kylie won the grand prize at the International Space Development Conference in the Space Pitch Competition. Gabriela, Kylie, welcome to the Future Space. Hello, Daniel. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. After we met at the conference, uh, you guys were so full of energy that, of course, I had to bring you on the podcast. So I'm pretty happy. Thank you. Yeah, we're excited to be Excellent. here. Yeah. So before we go on into why space and what's your inspiration and your motivation, I always start my um, interviews with the same two questions. And the first one is, Give me three words that for you, <clears throat> for you capture the essence of space. Yeah, I can start us off. So three words that capture my essence of space is novel, growing, and changing. And novel because it, it's so new, it's so fresh, there's so much to discover. And then that leads into growing, that the industry, the aerospace industry is growing, but then space itself is also constantly growing. And then that leads into the third word, third word, changing, that space is constantly changing. Not only is it growing, but we're discovering new things and then parts of space are constantly changing. They're not gonna look the same when we look at them again going forward. For me, I would say my first word would be waiting. Uh, there's just so much uh, that we haven't discovered about our universe and the things that we have are eclipsed by the vast amount of knowledge that is waiting for us. And understanding more about the universe can help humanity and it is evident in the knowledge that again is just waiting for us. So I think waiting space is just kind of waiting for us to explore it, to understand it more. And then my second word would be dangerous because space is dangerous. But uh, as was once was said on Star Trek, boldly go where no one has gone before. And I think exploring space, exploring this dangerous thing is just so beneficial, beneficial to humanity. And then my third word would be cool because space is, space is just cool. Like <laughs> there's so many amazing things about space. So yeah, those are my three words. I think that these... <clears throat> These new boundaries have to be dangerous because they force us to create new things and invites us to figure out new ways to go beyond, right? Whether it's beyond the mountains, beyond the river, there's always a, a, a certain risk or a certain danger that necessitate our capacity for invention, for innovation. If it wasn't the case, then I'm not too sure that we would kind of have that, that kind of innovation, innovative, you know, spirit that, that, that we have. So the fact that it's dangerous is also reminds us of how humble we need to be 
because independently of how much we think that we have, you know, we're capable of grand, you know, things which we are, but at the same time, we need that humility uh, to bring us back a little bit, you know, grounded on, on earth. Gabriella, clearly the, like, I know that like even in school and in, in science fiction, Star Trek and, and pretty much everywhere, the space is a lot about the science and the technology and more and more now there's the geopolitical reality with china and then the other countries moon there's a legal aspect you know who's going to who's going to own or who's going to have rights or if they're going to have rights but beyond that what would you for, for the two of you what would you think is the human story of going to space well for me i think the human story of going to space lies within the risks that we have taken to get where we are. It was a risk to send that first satellite into orbit. It was a risk to send the first human into orbit. It was a risk to land humans on Mars, On sorry, on the moon. And it will be a risk to land humans on Mars, but taking those risks are what the history of humans in space is. And I think that is also the future of humans in space is the risks that we take to advance our knowledge yeah. and exploration. Yeah, I definitely agree. And for me, the the human story going to space, along with risk, is curiosity. Yeah. Is that we just have a natural instinct for curiosity since day one about everything. And we are so curious about things that we don't know about. And space, we we don't know most of it. And we, we barely know a little bit. And so just that, that constant... Um, feeling to learn more, to see more, to feel more, and to just answer questions and then just experience different ways of life. Yeah, I agree. Do you think the human story of space is different than any other human story here on Earth, whether it was, you know, migrations between different countries or when Europe, you know, moved to North America, where we started their own little village and then we, you know, we went beyond do you think that it's different because of this space or it's still the same thing but the scale of it just changes i think it's the same thing the scale of it just changes it's this new frontier that we have to to get to explore you know yeah i agree and, and i think that uh those questions that we've answered in our pat in the past of humanity of exploring new continents or seeing how our body reacts in different climates that that's also questions that we're asking in space is can we live on other planets can we how does our body adapt in zero gravity how does our body adapt on different planets what does different weather look like can we grow food and so we're answering all the questions that we've worked to answer or are still answering here on earth but we're looking to do it in space yeah i agree even in terms of the policy and the legal side of things like who owns the moon? How many <laughs> satellites can you have? Yeah. Should we mine asteroids? So, yeah, like you said, it's like understanding. It's just a new frontier. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of people who think that going to space or spending any um, any funds or or any any effort. Uh, into space comes at the expense of what we have on Earth and all the 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 challenges that needs to be addressed here on Earth. What what would you answer to uh, to that rhetoric? I mean, it's the like there's opportunity cost in every decision that you make, but I also think exploring more into space could solve problems that we have here on Earth. 
And I don't think that not going into space will solve these problems. I think having that good balance is important. Yeah, I agree. And I definitely think that we will always have problems here at Earth. There will always be things to solve. And even looking back in time before we knew the Earth was round, before we'd uh, documented every continent, that there were still problems being had in the hometown. And those problems never never went away or they were solved and then new ones arose. And so going forward, we will always kind of have the, those core issues and we'll continue to evolve and solve them. And then hopefully going to space will help us solve those issues and then we can grow as humans. It's, it's simply just the, the, the foundation of life. Life is messy by design, right? If, if it was perfect where there's no evolution, there's no growth, there's no learning and and unfortunately, tension and disruptions are part of the fundamentals of what it is for life, you know, to move forward. The when the kids when the kids leave the family home, they, they leave with the intent of doing better than their parents, but at the same time, they will have their own mistakes, their own failures, and their children will not want to replicate what their parents did, but they will have their own, you know, their own lives to live. But that is how we learn, you know, on the back of our, the people behind us and setting the, the foundations for the people ahead of us. So, and then the thing that often, and Gabriella, you were talking about Star Trek. I, and maybe you can, you can, <laughs> yeah. you can um, correct me on, on this one, but there was, I think that Star Trek created the expectation that space could be a place where almost there are no more problems, right? There's no money there. Everything can be quickly fixed, but space will have its own set of challenges and we need to prepare ourselves for that. We cannot be naive thinking that everything is going to be rosy. It's going to be, it's going to demand from us tremendous amount of discipline and courage and dedication to, you know, to, to create a, the world that we envision. Yeah, I agree with that. I think conflict is just a part of being human. You're going to have conflict with people. It's just finding out how to resolve those conflicts. And I think space is just going to have conflicts. You're not going to have this idealistic utopia where everybody's equal and nothing goes wrong. There will always be problems. I, I would definitely agree. And I, I think we can do our best to prepare, but space is so unknown that we're going to face conflicts that we've never faced before. And like, like a lot of people in the industry say, it's a new frontier. So it's going to challenge us in ways that we've never been challenged before, but I definitely think we're going to grow from it. So now give me your, your what is your, brought you to space when you decided to apply university? Was it, was it an economic uh, reason was it because you looked at what would be the jobs ahead of you and you said this is going to be you know my best chances was that because you wanted to work in space since you were a kid so what brought you to arizona state university in space uh well i came here i i like space because of my dad he loved space space was always something he really wanted to get into growing up but he couldn't and for me, this was something I really wanted to do and something that we bond over. And so that's my got into space because of my dad and because of Chris Hadfield, <laughs> uh, 
watching his videos growing up was a huge part of my childhood. But um, yeah, I just, that's my first reason of going into space. I first came into ASU wanting to do an engineering degree to get the technical background and go to law school afterwards and work within like the policy aspect of space. Because I think that is something that is very going to be very much needed as we go and we expand our presence in space. But I really like the technical background. So I do want to end up in policy maybe sometime in the future, but I really want to get into the technical, get more understanding of that field before I go in and work on the policy. Was your father in, uh, so what was his interest in, uh, in space, just uh, science fiction or he actually has works also on the engineering or something else? I mean, I guess it was a mix of, of both. He, at the time, like he was in his 20s in the 80s when Star Wars was coming out. So I think that was a huge thing for a lot of kids watching Star Wars kind of got them into space. I loved Star Wars growing up. I loved Star Trek, a huge sci-fi nerd. But I think like what happened with me, what happened with my dad and what happens with a lot of people that are in space right now because of sci-fi is as they grew up, their interest in space kind of matured along with them. So although it was kind of like this childhood belief of, oh my God, I want to live the life of Star Wars. I want to I want to be Captain Kirk on the Enterprise. It kind of, it matured into, I want to work on rockets. And obviously we still have that childhood want of exploring space and meeting extraterrestrials and going to new planets. But as we grow up, I think we mature from that sci-fi aspect. I would like to note, Gabby has a very impressive comic book collection. <laughs> it's it's very impressive and it's still very big to this day and still growing. Yeah, it's still that sci-fi nerd, but, you know, more a more down-to-earth view of what space is and what the space industry holds for me. And I bet for my dad as well. You better take care of the, of the comic books because they become collectibles. Oh, yeah. People are serious about those. They really are. Kylie, what is? Uh, yes, they are. Kylie, what is your, uh, what is your, uh, your, your background? I have a, a more non-traditional aerospace background. So I went into school um, looking to go into a career in more policy and government. And my freshman year, I did an internship at the Arizona State Senate. It was really, really cool. It was nonpartisan and it was during COVID and I got to be on the floor of the Senate to so see a lot of background things. But I realized working in state government is probably not for me. Um, <laughs> And I took a class my sophomore year called Space Business and Entrepreneurship. It was an elective. It sounded cool. Um, and the whole class, the whole idea of the class was that you developed a space startup and you pitched it at the end of the semester. And in the meantime, they brought in industry professionals. It was run by four very impressive professors here at ASU. And they would bring in professionals that were experts in robotics or experts in asteroid mining or space policy or space entrepreneurship. Um, other professors here at ASU, there was geology, astrophysics, all these amazing people and over so many vast topics. And I thought it was so cool. I got to learn so much and it kind of had what intrigues me about the government policy side of being able to talk about so much but this was about aerospace specifically, and everyone was so passionate. 
And so I was like, oh, this is really cool. And just kind of networked my way uh, through ASU with a lot of the professors and a lot of the industry professionals. Uh, Greg Autry, who you know really well, he, I asked him one time, I was like, how do, how do I learn more about aerospace? I'm, I'm a business major. I, I don't have that technical background. And he recommended I start going to conferences. And so my, my sophomore year, I asked ASU for funding and I've gotten to go to a handful of conferences. I've gotten to go to Ascend um, in Vegas. I went to the International Space Development Conference. I got to volunteer at New Space in Seattle with the Space Frontier Foundation. And I just have gotten to learn so much and have really fallen in love with the industry. Nice. It is. Um, that is something that really struck me also, the, the, the energy of the space industry, right? How they are motivated in finding answers. I, I, I spent 15 years doing solo wilderness expeditions and being involved in the environmental community and outdoor community. And there's, I've always felt that there was this heaviness because like we, there's this idea that we can, if we could go back to a magic point in time where everything was perfect and we see ourselves as the, the root of all evil. And if we could take ourselves out, that would be, you know, the earth wouldn't be so much better. You're constantly hearing that. And then you get into the space community and they're like, no, we're, we're going to find solution and space is part of the solution. And just as, these are just you know engineering issues we can we can figure out things it was so so much refreshing to be surrounded by a group a community that was excited about moving forward rather than trying to go back into the past i guess that's the same thing that you experienced definitely and from a student perspective uh, over my course, my time at ASU, I've done a lot of networking, a lot of question asking about what's your career look like? What does your job look like? Uh, and I noticed from more traditional business roles from finance, real estate, it's a little condescending. It's a little bit like you should know this. You could look this up online, kind of wasting my time. But with the aerospace industry, I would ask people questions that were probably fairly simple questions, <laughs> but coming from a non-engineering background. I didn't know what was going on. Or I'd ask people, how do black holes work? How does rocket fuel work? What's the difference? Or what's the difference between different companies? And everyone at every level was willing to sit down and explain it to me and break it down. And I thought that was really cool that just that energy was received and they wanted to help. They wanted to answer my questions. Now, so you, were you able to learn to, to know what black holes are in one sitting or? <laughs> oh, goodness. It was like a two hour conversation. The first 15 minutes I followed. And then after that, I was like, I think this is a little above my head. Like <laughs> I couldn't follow the vocabulary, but I'm trying. Now there is, um, I'm kind of curious, you know, the, the generation, Gabriel, of, of your father and, and my previous generation, a lot of, a lot of them got their inspiration from Apollo and the, the, the people walking on the moon. During the COVID, the, the landing of the two rockets, SpaceX, the landing upright of these two rockets was for me kind of an Apollo moment where my brain actually changed. I, it, I, I, I saw the future differently by understanding that this was now possible. It was no more science fiction. Was it? I mean, was it the, the same for you? Was it? Was there something in the recent five, ten, ten years that made you kind of see the world differently? That is a very good question. I feel like 
what has really made me see the world differently, especially the space world differently, would be the being more active within the community. Like when I was in high school, I wasn't, I didn't get as many opportunities to meet people in the industry, to meet people working, to go to conferences, you know, but once I got to college, I got this opportunity to actually talk to people in the field and that completely changed my view on, on the world, on space, on everything as a whole. I feel like it kind of, it, it decreased this idealization of space that I had. And at the same time, it made me see that NASA's kind of like no longer the only space actor. Like there are so many huge space actors now that are not governmental, that are, you know, private corporations, which I like completely changed the way that I see the world because I'm like, whoa, it's not just NASA now, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I definitely agree that I think as I learned more about the industry over the past few years that you grow up and you just think NASA. And, and that's kind of all you know. And the cool thing about NASA is I do feel like it's it's worldwide, it's known worldwide. Yeah. That I, I did a study abroad in Spain for a semester and anyone that I talked to knew what NASA was. And I'm like, that's just, that's that's really cool that it, it's just known so well. But definitely like as I got to know the industry, also realizing that like rocket scientists aren't too far away. Like, like you could talk to them or people that work at NASA, like, I'm really grateful to have a handful of friends that are work at NASA or are mentors of mine. And they they could also just give me life advice too, that they're like, oh, you'll you'll be okay in your career. Or like, oh, it, these are the kind of rocky points that I had to get here. But, and I worked really hard and it, you just view them as people, not as these like on a pedestal as a rocket scientist. It's like, whoa, this is crazy. Yeah, that's so it, true. It's definitely like humanizing once you're talking to people that it's like, oh, they're, they're just everyday people that, worked for their passion and now they work on rockets. Yeah, it kind of makes like the goal to work in the industry feel less of a challenge because you're like, oh my God, like we both like cheesecake. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we have these stuff totally. in common. You're actually not this like huge genius person. Yeah. We can both do the same thing and it yeah. kind of humanizes them. Definitely. So cheesecake in space with Chris Hadfield. Oh, that would be the dream. <laughs> that would be super cool. Now, there's um, there's a lot of, like, in your generation and in school, um, I hear often that there's a lot of anxiety about the future, whether it's climate change, whether it's all the problems. Do you, do you think that space actually helps or doesn't help managing that anxiety because it gives it gives um, a direction to move forward. It gives a, a, a way to like a like a, a certain strategy to deal with the the um, the current the current challenges that we have. Because often uh, I think that the anxiety that people have is also the anxiety of being stuck. Like we're we're stuck here. We have to figure these things, and then there's no way forward. But space helps actually developing that mentality to move forward so that we can take I mean, do you do you see the connection or how how do, do you think space fit in that anxiety that is felt in your generation? I think I think it 
at times it could add to the anxiety, like the effects on the climate, effects on the world, like getting a rocket into space is not necessarily the, the cleanest energy transmitter. But I also think that space gives people a lot of hope. That the idea of thinking of thinking that there's another life form out there that it kind of gives everyone a break of like their day-to-day -day hardships that it's like, oh, let, let's wonder about this for a little bit and see like, will we interact with that other life form in our generation? Or look at this, this new picture that we found of a new galaxy and it's absolutely stunning. It's really pretty. And it's like, oh, this is just so cool. It, it allows you to think outside of the box and kind of gives you hope that there is new stuff out there. There's things that are better. There's even the hope of like asteroid mining and bringing fuel, like fossil fuel type things back to earth and kind of replacing our existing fossil fuels. And so there's, there's a lot of hope out there. I agree. I think it depends on the perspective, especially like if students, like some people are like, oh my God, space is scary. So <laughs> yeah. unknown. And like, that's completely valid. But also there are people that are like, wow, space scary. So unknown. That's so cool. Yeah. So I think it just depends on, on how people view things it's definitely it's not like a oh my god everybody believes this or everybody believes that so it also depends on like what you're working on what you know about space so yeah so the, on the yeah so gabriella for you on the engineering aspect what what is one of the biggest challenges of engineering uh going to space Ooh. Well, I think the biggest aspect would probably be, uh, I don't know how to say this, reusability, I guess, of our resources. Like we have a finite amount of resources on Earth. And I mean, SpaceX is getting good at reusing their stuff and it's getting more, <coughs> excuse me, it's getting more common for those things. But I do think finding ways to make the things we engineer to be used for multiple times rather than be a single use thing is probably an engineering thing that we are dealing with. But I also think you can see as things progress, we are getting through this challenge and it's getting easier for us to tackle that. And Claire, on the geopolitics or the business aspect of space, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges uh, ahead? I think some of the biggest challenges are bringing people together and getting all the pillars of space to communicate. Uh, even as a business major, I find it difficult to kind of understand what's going on sometimes. I, I, like I said, I follow for the first 10, 15 minutes and then I'm like, oh, I can't repeat what you just said. I don't really understand. <laughs> like, it, it just sounds like a different language. And so that is really important when you're dealing with like so much money going into the industry and you kind of have the business people dealing with the business side. And then you have the engineers that are building things and the business people need to communicate to their investors or to the government or to their partners what is going on, but they don't fully understand. Or even government versus academia versus private versus nonprofit and seeing how we can leverage everyone's strengths to build a better industry or to accomplish their goals faster that when everyone stays in their lane, it's like, no, we, we should talk to each other. And a lot of people don't know what's going on just on the, what's what each company is doing. Yeah, I agree. I think more communication between the business, the engineering, all aspects of the field could really go a long way. Yeah. <laughs>
it's all it's most of the time it's all about communication whether you're in the marriage or your friends or even in the family right that's a I said that, but I meant that, you know, but I understood that, or I, this is not what I meant. You know, all these, these bottom line is communication. If we can, if we could spend as much time, uh, teaching communication skills to people as we, you know, as we teach them, uh, we teach them about math or other things, because it's so much of it, so much of life is about communication. And yet we live, I think more and more in a society where we don't give people the skills to negotiate the complexity of, of communication that we experience in, um, in life, right? Is that something that, uh, if you had, if you had a, a class on communication, would you take it? <laughs> I think I would. Yeah. Yeah. I had a class on communication, but I took it during COVID. So maybe it wasn't <laughs> as effective as it could have been. <laughs> yeah, I do think, I do think with engineers, sometimes it's hard to communicate with each other because we're kind of more used to working on projects alone or, you know, doing that kind of stuff, not in a team. And you don't really do that until you get into college or into the workforce. So I think being learning how to communicate, even with other, other like engineers or other STEM fields at a younger age could help understanding the jargon in a sense. Definitely. Yeah. Those, yeah. So if, um, I mean, I've, I've heard you talking a little bit, a couple times about space mining. The, um, I, I believe that space mining is going to be one of the best things that happens for Earth because one of the problems that we have right now on Earth is the, it's not the lack of resources, it's the extraction of resources. And the extraction, you know, often is in place in countries that are often unstable or in environments that are super complex or diverse. Uh, so the extraction becomes a problem. But once you're able to extract in places out of space that are barren of life or that are not connected to a complex ecosystem, then, you know, then you can allocate everything on earth as more your backyard where, you know, it's, it's for, it's a national park. Um, how much, like how much do you see space mining as part of the solution for some of the problems that we have on earth? I definitely think it, it could solve a lot of problems if we're able to do it right and be able to find a way that it doesn't hurt the earth by, by leaving, grabbing other stuff and bringing it back. Because um, like Gabby said earlier, we have a finite number of resources here on earth. The big question is what, what happens when we add to that? Like what, how, will the, how will the earth respond? And then even just the process of going to go take things from an asteroid, for example, and bring it back. How is that going to hurt the Earth's atmosphere? And are we going to be able to reuse the, the rocket or the, the device that we use to go take it and come back? And so I think that there's a lot of questions that we still need to answer, but it's definitely a really, a really cool thing that I think could solve a lot of problems. Yeah. I also think there's a lot of policy issues that come with it. I remember one of our colleagues, Berkeley Adair, she had asked a question once about import tax of things coming in from space and i was like oh my god i didn't even think of that you're so yeah. right like and who pays that what country where did where does these things land or what countries do the resources go to yeah how, all countries have the ability to send things to space and bring it back how do we also like manage not like breaking markets on earth in terms of like resource markets yeah. So <laughs> a lot of questions, a lot of big questions. <laughs>
Yeah. And when oh. when people um, ask you or compare right, the space and just being a place for billionaires to spend their money, um, what what do you answer or how do you react when when people throw that at you? Oh goodness! I mean, airplanes. Billionaires used to throw their money to traveling. Now it's become the the railroad system as well that billionaires use. They they built at least in the United States built the railroad system and they were the big proponents to building infrastructure. And so I kind of think if they have the ability to build the infrastructure and kind of get that baseline, definitely like let's take them up on it and then <laughs> go from there. <laughs> yeah. Even like exploration, like sea travel, that was mostly something that people with money used to do. And then it became, you know, everybody could do it. I think it's just, it kind of, like you said, you got to set up the infrastructure to allow for more people. Yeah. I don't think saying it's only a billionaire's thing is a valid response to space. Yeah. I think hopefully it'll only be a billionaire's thing for just a little bit. Yeah. Until we can actually figure things out. Yeah. Well, the, the billionaires have always been part of that cycle of technology, right? I mean, Gabriella, you were talking about ocean exploration. They just had, you know, back then it was the kings and the queens or the the, the kingdoms who, who were financing. They were the only ones capable of financing these these um, expeditions. Um, cell phone, you know, we don't even think we don't yeah. even think about cell phones being a, a a luxury item anymore. Everybody has their own cell phones. But I grew up I grew up when cell phones came out, and it was a massive brick. And it was, you know, only just the, the ones who could afford it um, and or carry it in the car because the, the antenna was bigger and you had better reception if you had a phone that was integrated with the car. So it was in the console right between the seats. And so I grew up in, in times where if you had a, a phone in the car, you would do the the typical joke of going to visit someone and then parking in front of their their house and calling them letting them know that you would be late because of some reason and then you would get out of the car and then you would go on the knock, knock on the door and then it'd be like what you guys should <laughs> you know far away and then here we are so but that is you know that's the cycle and planes cars it's these technologies have to be to be financed by people who can't afford it before the 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 R and D, the research and development, brings the cost down, and then it becomes ubiquitous to the yeah, rest of the exactly. world. So it's yeah, exactly. Yeah, even computers, for example, like yeah, <laughs> it used to be big and chunky and expensive, <laughs> and then now they're small, and you can get a Chromebook. So yeah. The first, the first IBM was like the size of a football field or something, or like a huge, yeah, you know, yeah, huge, huge room. And you know, now we have more power in our pocket than the space shuttle had in a, you know, <laughs> an entire um, rocket. And so, yeah. yeah, so things things change. So when you look into the future, how how do you view? What do you think the future, the the technology wise, what? Because when, when we look back, right, I was earlier, um, late last year, I was down in Antarctica on a luxurious ship, you know, having a Zoom call on the, on, on the, on the Zodiac right next to the ship, right, because of Starling, things that would be impossible 20 years ago. 
um, it's really hard to, I mean, it's easy to look back and think, you know, that's the past and here's the, you know, today, but there's a future ahead of us that it's really hard for us to understand because we're incapable of seeing it. When I was flying over New York and I'm looking out the window and I'm looking at all these, it was at night and there was these lights everywhere, skyscrapers. And I'm thinking a moment, I'm on the plane looking through the window. I'm in this flying object where I can sleep, I can eat, I can go, I can go to the bathroom and I'm taking a picture with a device that also can connect me to someone across the world. If I, if I had told the Italian explorer that first landed in New York 300 years ago, that this would, I would be doing that. They, they would throw me to the fire thinking is like witchcraft or something. Yeah. <laughs> but there's <laughs> a future is- like that. There's a future that disconnected from us, you know, ahead of us. What do you think? Like, what are the, some of your visions that you have about a future and where you think it's realistically, right? Not, not science fiction, but realistically, what do you think the, the future can look like? Well, I want to start off with, I think, the um, development of, I don't know if development's the right word, but I'm going to say use development for now, but the development of technology is exponential. We are, I think we are right now on that little, like little bell curve right before it starts increasing like really rapidly. And I think once we get past this curve and into that really rapid increase, it's, it's hard to look into the future and say, oh my God, that's going to happen. But if I had to pick one thing that I really, 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 really want to happen is flying cars, just because I think that would be so cool. <laughs> I think that would be so cool. But yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's the one part of the future that we're missing, that we're definitely living in what, like the the Flintstones? Is that the name? <laughs> like the Flintstones, like their image of the future, like, we have everything but flying cars. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're almost there. We have Waymo. <laughs> so we have self-driving yeah. cars. <laughs> but yeah, I think, yeah, I think like 100 years in the future that people are going to look back and be like, oh my God, you guys drove on the ground and you guys drove the cars. Wow. Same way I look back to my parents and I'm like, oh my God, you guys sent letters? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I traveled the Europe with a backpack and I had a, because music was always important for me, I traveled with a, a giant case of CDs that were all scratched and I had the yellow Sony, you know, the, the Discman that I was, that I was carrying with me. And so, uh, and then today is like, what, you had only 50 songs with you and then, and then, you know, you were recycling them over and over. Today is like millions of songs that you can have on your, on your device. So, yeah. The, um, that's true. One of the things that I find really inspiring about the future is, you know, if you look into the past, knowledge was not spread really everywhere. You had, you know, a, a small number of experts that had to figure out pretty much everything. And now we have hundreds of thousands. We have millions of people that every day wake up trying to find solutions. And, you know, in the future, we can think of a world where there's going to be billions of people that their sole reason of existence is to find solutions, to figure out, you know, how to solve problems. And, you know, 
Gabriela, you were talking about that exponential. Like the more the more people we have, ultimately, the more people we will have to work on these solutions. Is that like one thing that you that you that you can that you can see in the future? Yeah, I can definitely I can also see it being although we have like we wake up every morning and we have like information about the entire world at our fingertips, I could see that becoming even faster. I could see like 10 years ago, you'd have to wait for like it to be like on the internet or even all like way before that you had to wait for the information to be given to you like physically. But now if like some researcher in, I don't know, France found something crazy, Americans get it instantly and they can be like, oh my God, we can use that for this. So I think what I see in the future is a faster transfer of knowledge between different groups of people. And then with more increased people, that knowledge becomes better, I yeah, guess. <laughs> I agree. And I think another thing to note is that we are very blessed to be living in a time where we we're thinking outside of the box is supported where it's not oppressed and or at least in most of the world that it's the, the, it's encouraged to think of new things, to discover, to learn, to try new things. And that I think that's going to uh, contribute to that exponential growth because yeah. so many people on so many different levels and walks of life are trying to learn and trying to discover. Yeah, I agree. Like, and you think is you think AI? You think AI is actually a tool that is going to be helpful as we as we move forward? If used properly, I definitely one hundred percent see how it could be used in the future. Right now, I can barely use AI to help me with my <laughs> homework, but in the future, I could see how it could be a huge asset. Even right now, it's a huge asset. So yeah. I can't wait to see what AI does. I definitely agree. I think AI, there's a lot of learning to do as how to use it, but I think it could be the next Google search. I think like when the Google search bar became a thing, no one knew how to use it. We didn't know how to use keywords or how to ask it questions. And I think AI is in a similar stage right now where we don't really know how to use it effectively, but give it a few years, we'll, we'll be really fast with it and know how, how to use it to just make our life more efficient and make simple tasks. Um, become even simpler. Yeah. Ultimately, it's a tool. It's a it's a tool like it any is, exactly. any other tool, and it you know it's a it's a relationship between the tool and the other things around. And the humans are not static and powerless towards that tool. We always the capacity. The the there's a there's a vision of humans that always bugs me. We 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 see the world linear, thinking that these challenges of the technology. Mm -hmm evolves disconnected from us, right? That we're powerless. Oh, there's going to be a tyrant that is just, you know, exists and then we are there a little powerless. But what uh, the humans are, we're a dynamic species. We, we react to the things around us. And if we have, you know, a challenge over there, we, we, we rise to the occasion and then we figure out things, you know, ahead. And yes, the world is going faster, but so is also our capacity to deal with that world. And it's not, you know, the technology is driving on a motorcycle and then we're still on a little tricycle, you know, trying to, we've, we're on that bike, you know, that, that motorbike also driving with it and developing the skills. So that's, 
that's what we have to remind ourselves is that yes, this is happening, but also this here were happening, you know, within ourselves too. Now, Heidi, Gabriela, quick question. Maybe it's words that have been given to you um, from a mentor that you remember or uh, words that for you, you've come to, to really live by and, and, and lead your life with. But what would be three words of wisdom? So Kylie's three words of wisdom and Gabriella's three words of wisdom. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can start us off. My three words of wisdom would be to do uncomfortable things. That nothing that I am proud of or have I'm accomplished or has made my life better was comfortable. Everything I've done was uncomfortable, whether it was stepping into a meeting, sending an email, even aerospace. Like I, I didn't know anything about it. And that was very uncomfortable at the beginning. And the more you do uncomfortable things, the more comfortable they become, the stronger person you become. And you're just able to grow and just live life to the fullest. Yeah, nice. You should actually, you should um, create a t-shirt. Do embrace, embrace uncomfortableness. <laughs> do things uncomfortable. Don't yeah. don't make the t-shirt yeah. uncomfortable though, because that is not. <laughs> no, no, definitely. It would have to be yes, soft. Exactly, Gabriela. Your three words. Yes, uh, my three words would be the right people. You know, surround yourself with people who support you, who want to see you succeed, both professionally and in your personal life. You know, like I wouldn't be where I am without my parents, my siblings, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, my friends who, you know, even though they're not related to me, they want to see me succeed. They want to see me do well. And then in the professional aspect, you want to surround yourself with people who align with your goals, who you see yourself working with possibly in the future or having a good relationship with. It's being, being surrounded by those who will help you, who will be a positive aspect, a positive input in your life. You know, that's what I would say my three words are. The right people. <laughs> Gabriela, Kelly, it was wonderful to have you on the Future Space. I'm so glad that we ran into each other uh, during the conference. And it's I'm always when people feel doom and gloom about the world, I always tell them, you guys don't hang out with the right people. <laughs> hang out with students that are just so inspired about figuring out solutions and you know moving forward. Your your take on the world is totally different. So thank you on behalf on behalf of many adults who should should be hanging out with you a lot more. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Daniel. Yeah, it was lots of fun. We'll see you. Uh, we'll see you soon, and uh, maybe we can have uh, Chris Hetfield come and deliver some uh, <laughs> cheesecake. <Yeah>. Definitely. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.